<laughs> oh my goodness. <sighs> Get all set up here. Good morning, everyone. You know, I am so happy to have this opportunity to talk with you. Some of you don't know me probably that well because you haven't been around that long. But um, So I'm going to give you just a brief introduction. I first discovered this church and this teaching in 1994 and um, immediately fell in love with the positive message that I heard. And so I started taking classes became a minister in 2003, uh, was ordained in 2010 after many, many hours and years of service. I've been a staff minister at this church almost, well, since 2003, although my husband and I moved away in 2012, so I don't get to spend a lot of time here, but my heart is here. I served on the board for many years, 17. I shouldn't admit that, but I did. <laughs> Couldn't get rid of me. Okay. So that's enough about me, just a brief bio so that you know why it is that I'm here. And I have to say that it is such a privilege to be able to speak with you, and I never take that for granted. This morning, I want to talk to you about lying and truth. Just a small topic. <laughs> Now, my talk title, you may recognize, it comes from songs where, um, well, one version that I know of, uh, this gentleman goes out for the evening with his buddies and gets roaring drunk and comes home and tries to hide the fact, but his wife calls him on it, so he comes up with this whopping lie about how he got into this condition. It really isn't his fault. So that's my story, and I'm sticking to it, is the refrain. And I thought about that, and I thought, you know, how many times do we really tell whoppers? And, and the more invested we get in it, the more we stick to it. So I decided it'd be fun to start there. And uh, I'll tell you a little story about something that happened last weekend. It's the kind of thing that, that, I'm, uh, that I say uh, that tagline to. Uh, my husband and I went camping on the east side of the Sierras, and we had a couple of friends that uh, we've known for many, many years, live up in Washington, who drove down to join us. And we knew, you know, it's fall, it's the high country, it's going to be a little cold. So we were prepared with lots of things, lots of gear, and many, many, many fishing poles, because my husband hasn't had a chance to go fishing for quite a while, and he was determined we were going to go and fish. And so we did. And it was bitterly cold in the morning, and it was cool all day, and the wind blew so hard the first night, I thought we were going to get carried away with our tent. But, in fact, I told my husband, I'm afraid to look out, we may not be in Kansas anymore. I mean, <laughs> um, so we got back, we didn't catch any fish. Source of great sorrow. So the next morning, my, my girlfriend came downstairs, and she was wearing this T-shirt, and it was all covered with pictures of fishing lures. And she said, the reason we didn't catch any fish is because it was too cold for me to wear my lucky fishing shirt. I, I said, hey, that's your story, and I'm sticking to it. Okay. All right. 
how often do we tell stories that while they may be unbelievable, we stick to it, even when we're challenged, especially when we're challenged. Maybe it's an excuse for not doing something somebody wants us to do. Maybe we don't want to work on that committee. Um, so we invent house guests, or um, maybe we just, we want to blame somebody else for something that is truly our fault. So that's our story, and we stick to it. Why do we make up those excuses instead of standing in our own integrity? We're perfect no matter what we choose to do. We are perfect because we're made in the image of our Creator, and we are living with that. So why can't we just let our yes be yes and our no be no and be content? I think it's because we have forgotten who we are. Now, I love stories. Everybody loves stories. So I'd like to tell you a story today as a starting point. It's a paraphrase of the story of Adam and Eve as uh, interpreted through the Toltec tradition of Michael Ru Don Miguel Ruiz. Excuse me. It's not Michael. It's Don Miguel. Um, this story is about us. It's about all of humanity because there's really only one. Now, in telling this story, Ruiz begins with a time of innocence. The time when Adam and Eve, we, lived in paradise, in the Garden of Eden. And that was heaven on earth. And we lived there in peace and in harmony. We communed with God and God communed with us. And we lived with respect and love for each other and for all of creation. Our relationship with our Creator was perfect. We believed and had freedom because of our oneness with God. We used our free will to love and enjoy everything, all creation. Life was beautiful. We saw everything through the eyes of truth and we loved it. Now, as you know, in the middle of paradise stood two trees. One was the tree which gave life to everything, the tree of life. The other was the tree of death or the tree of knowledge. God said, don't go near the tree of knowledge. If you eat the fruit, you may die. But we were innocent. We loved to explore. Aren't we curious creatures? So, of course, we had to visit the tree. But the tree of knowledge was the home of this big, poisonous snake. Now, the snake was actually a fallen angel. Angels, of course, being the messengers of God, bring messages of love and hope. But this fallen angel, for some reason, he no longer told the truth. He delivered the wrong message. His message was fear instead of love. It was a story of duality, the belief that God is not all there is, that there's God in something else, that we can be separate from our Creator. Now, the Prince of Lies, which was his other name, he was a good storyteller, but every word out of his mouth was a lie. However, we were innocent and trusting. We didn't know any better. We believed the fallen angel's story, and that was our big mistake. That is what it means to eat the tree of knowledge. 
we agreed and took his word as truth. We put our faith in those lies. We bit into the apple, we ate the lie that came with knowledge. And what happens when we eat a lie? Someone tells it to us, we believe it, that lie takes root in our mind where it grows big and strong and it's contagious. We pass the seeds to everyone else around us. So we reproduce the whole tree of knowledge in our mind. So it's everything that we know as a race, but it's mostly lies. Ruiz says, the tree of knowledge is a powerful symbol the legend says that whoever eats the fruit of the tree of knowledge will have knowledge of good and evil. They will know the difference between what is right and what is wrong, what is beautiful and what is ugly. They will gather all that knowledge and begin to judge. Now, of course, the story of Adam and Eve, it's a symbolic effort to explain how we came to be the way we are now. Some called it the fall from grace, but I don't think that's possible. Personally, grace being the unmerited favor of God, how can you lose what you never merited in the first place? I think we live in grace. So before humans ate the fruit of the tree of knowledge or believed in, began to believe in duality, we lived in truth, we spoke the truth. We lived in love and freedom. We had no guilt and shame. But afterward, guilt, shame, judgment, anger, competition, all these things became our life. Now, in a sense, we could say we created our own virtual reality. We live in a dream. Some call it a dream. All the wisdom teachings talk about us living in a dream world. Well, we created that dream world in a sense. And every tribe has its own version of a creation story. And so does every person. If I asked you, where are you from? You'd probably tell me a story of, oh, I was born in Chicago, and, and you know, I grew up here, and my parents did this, and I did that, and that would be your version of a creation story. But beneath that story, there's the universal story of the individual birth into this world that echoes the Adam and Eve creation story. When you're born, you're innocent. You know only what spirit tells you, and you live in the moment. You speak your truth when you cry, when you laugh, and then when you acquire language. Mommy, I'm hungry, I want a toy, I love you, mommy. We don't know anything but truth at that point. However, it isn't long before we begin the process of what Ruiz calls domestication. And this may not be new to a lot of you. Um, the adults around us begin to teach us from the tree of knowledge. Why not? That's what we know. This is our dream as a race. Um, they begin to tell us how to behave, what to believe, how we're supposed to be, what we're supposed to be, what's acceptable, what's good, what's bad, what's ugly. And we agree with them. Of course we agree with them. These agreements form our personal belief system. Now, we don't choose those beliefs. They're given to us by society around us. But we begin to forget that we're one with our source and that we're perfect as the Creator is perfect. Pretty soon, we start to pretend what we're not just to please others, just to be loved and accepted. 
we fall out of the paradise of being loved and being who we are into the dream of hell that is trying to be something that we're not. Is it the not? So at some point, we no longer need anyone to domesticate us. We become our own domesticator because we've developed our inner judge that uses our belief system to reward and punish. So we've grown our own internal tree of knowledge. Can't blame the adults around us. They're just passing on what they know, the fruit of the tree of knowledge. The belief in duality, the belief that there's God in something else, that's our race consciousness. Now, We love our stories, we love to tell stories. I personally love to know what makes other people tick. I love sharing, um, and I think we all do. But when we tell our stories, often we are telling our stories from our false identity. We are lying, as Ruiz says, to ourselves and to others. We think we're telling the truth because we've forgotten who we are as spiritual beings. The truth is we're one with, with our creator. We are made from that very God stuff, that very life source, that very energy that created everything that holds the stars in place. In fact, some say we're made of stardust and I believe that. We can't be separated from the source of life. It lives in us. We're told that the creator's name is I am. So the creator in us is also I am. Every time we use the term I am, we are using our most potent word about ourselves. The Christian Bible explains that in the beginning was the word, and the word was God. And God said, let there be, and there was. Now, we also have that power. But how often do we tell ourselves a story of sickness, victimhood, poverty, uh, blame, by saying, I am sick of blah, blah. I am, I'm the victim of someone else's unkindness. I don't have enough, fill in the blank, money, love, freedom, whatever. And so, we believe our stories they have power over us, and so we create that effect in our lives with our own words. Our tree of knowledge, our belief in lack, limitation, illness, and so forth, lets us experience that. But it's not the truth. The truth is what is and cannot be changed. Now, ever since we began to believe in duality, we have been trying to get back into paradise. We've been trying to recapture God's favor and with some success, but we all know that there's more. We know that that appearance of lack, limitation, illness is not the truth. It is not all there is. We've all experienced brief moments of communion with spirit and we crave more of that, that's why we're here, that's why we come, it's why we do our spiritual practices. Trying to get back to paradise. Ralph Waldo Emerson in The Oversoul says, our faith comes in moments, our vice is habitual. Yet there's a depth in those brief moments 
which constrains us to ascribe more reality to them than to all other experiences. We retain the ability to discern authenticity. Our hearts know when they feel the truth of love. Does anybody here watch America's Got Talent? You know what happened. Okay. America's Got Talent brings people from all over the world. This year, this season, the talent has just been off the charts. I mean, every act that made it into those finals was deserving of a win. But there was one person, there was a one young man named Cody Lee. I'd say he's probably about, I don't know, 18, 20. I don't know his chronological age. Cody Lee is blind and autistic. And Cody Lee plays the piano and sings. Now, he's got a gift, there's no question. He can play well. He has an, a lovely voice. But Cody Lee had to be escorted on the stage by his mother, sat on the chair. She would stay with him until it was time for him to begin, then she would go away. He sang with such heart, such depth of feeling, such perfection, that every time he performed, the entire audience of thousands of people stood up and chanted his name. Cody Lee won. He won this year. Why? Because he was more talented than anybody else? I don't think so. I think it's because he spoke to our hearts and we knew it. He has trouble communicating, but the one thing he has no trouble saying is, my music is how I tell people I love them. So we know. We know. Ruiz says, everything in God's creation is perfect. If we don't see our own perfection, it's because our attention is focused on our story. The lies in our story keep us from seeing the truth, but with awareness, we can change the story and return to truth. Awareness, staying awake to those brief moments of recognition of perfection. But how, in the experience of lack, limitation, and unloveliness, how do we do wholeness? How do we create our paradise? How do we get back to that place where we know for sure that God is all there is and it's all love? How do we increase our word of power and use it to live a life that's truly our own creation and not one that's handed down to us from an ancient belief system? How do we free ourselves from the need to please others more than ourselves? So just as we create lack and illness and so forth with our I am, we can create wholeness in all aspects of our experience with those same words, I am. And what must we affirm with our I am? Well, here are some truths worth affirming based on um, A Course of Miracles Made Easy by Alan Cohen. Only God is real. All separation is illusion. I am an extension, an expression of God. Everything God is, I am. 
God is love and only love, and so am I. Every thought I think, word I speak, and action I take represents my choice between love and fear. I choose love. So I'm sure you can think of lots more. Ernest Holmes has a few words to say on the subject, as he does on most wonderful things. Thank you, Denise. I bless what I have is the title of this. Have you and I the faith to bless that which perhaps seems so very small? a loaf of bread and a fish, and expect it to become multiplied in our experience to such an extent that it would not only bless us, but also everyone around us? We cannot help but believe that as Jesus broke the bread and blessed it, in his own mind he saw it multiplied and growing and flowing out to those around him. This is an example we should follow, to bless what we have, recognizing that it flows from a limitless source. We are merely using it and distributing it. There is always more. There is always more. There is unlimitedness. If only we could get that. If only we could take that to heart. If only we could know that with absolute certainty. When we speak our word, we could hold out our hand and things would materialize. I'm convinced that that is the secret secret of Jesus and of other wise masters who have done the same thing, who brought the same message. There are some wise teachers who have offered us hints as to how we can experience more, become more familiar with our sacred side um, there is um, an old wisdom teacher and healer named uh, H. Emily Cady, and one of the things that she said that really stuck with me in her book, um, she says, I must, we must each stay at home with our soul. I must stay at home with my soul. When something is confronting me and I don't know the answer, I go inside, go into your closet and commune with that which is already in you. We look to others for wisdom and we study the experience of wisdom teachers but that will only take us so far. Ultimately, we must all discover the Christ within us, the voice of truth that's our own wisdom teacher. We'd need no other, really, if we truly are in that place. As Ralph Waldo Emerson said in his essay, The Oversoul, there is no bar or wall in the soul where man the effect ceases and God the cause begins. There's no wall. The walls are taken away. We lie open on one side to the deeps of spiritual nature, to all the attributes of God. So we must learn to listen deeply to that voice within. How often do we get an answer or we hear a clue to a question, or we're sort of sent in one direction, and we ignore it because it's not what we expect. It doesn't look like what we thought it should. After all, we have to solve this problem ourselves. No, no, no. It is the opposite. We let, take our hands off and to let spirit speak through us, and you can't go wrong. The liar or the judge in us will tell us that what we hear is absurd. We must be wrong. 
but persist in listening and following your inner wisdom. Be insistent on the truth, the very highest statement of truth that you can conceive. Then stay with that statement, the word, with as much conviction and determination as you can muster until it demonstrates its power to you. I'll give you another example from H. Emily Cady. In her book, on how I used truth. She talks about her journey in faith. In many cases of what we in our unbelief would call a miracle, okay? She tells a true story of her own healing that illustrates this power of belief and using your word to return to wholeness. Here's her quote. After days of excruciating pain from a badly sprained ankle, the ankle became enormously swollen, and it was impossible for me to attend to my professional work as an active medical practitioner. Ordinary affirmations of truth were entirely ineffectual, and I soon struck out for the very highest statement of truth that I could formulate. It was this, there is only God, all else is a lie. I vehemently affirmed it and steadfastly stuck to it. In 24 hours, all pain and swelling, in fact, the entire lie, her quotes, had disappeared. There are many stories like this, many stories of healings, of body, finance, relationships. It doesn't always happen quickly, but it happens as quickly as we can arrive at a conviction of the truth. So, and this is important, my last tip. Suspend as much as possible your self-judgment. It has no place in your spiritual practice. It has no place in life, but especially in your spiritual practice. Oh, I should be able to meditate for 30 minutes and I can only do 30 seconds. Oh, I should this. When we're shoulding all over ourselves, we are judging ourselves. And that is so counterproductive. Because what we say about ourselves, we're saying about God. What we say about God, we're saying about ourselves. I felt like this morning between the reading and the music, I didn't need to talk, but I wanted to, so I am. <laughs> okay. Emerson offers this encouragement. We are wiser than we know. For the soul's communication of truth is the highest event in nature. For, then it, for it then does not give something, somewhat, from itself, but it gives itself or passes into and becomes that man whom it enlightens. Or in proportion to the truth he receives, it takes him to himself. In other words, spirit gives as much as we can receive. So we have to expand our container our ability to believe, to have faith, to stick to it until our word demonstrates. Our word in the present moment, not in some future moment. It has to be now. We have to say it. I have. I am. Not I will be or someday this will happen. Now. You have to believe it's yours and it will come to pass. So do you believe that God, creator, life, spirit, whatever name you care to call it, this essence that we all partake of, do you believe it's perfect? 
Do you believe it's all-knowing, all-powerful, everywhere present, all the time? If so, affirm with me now with as much conviction and belief as you can summon. God is all there is, all else is a lie. God is perfect, so am I. God is perfect, so am I. God is all sufficiency in all things. It is done as I believe. God is now manifested as my health, abundance, love, and creative expression. God is now manifested as my health, abundance, loving relationships, and creative expression. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> Thank you. Through the act of affirmative prayer, the limitless resources of the Spirit are at my command. The power of the infinite is at my disposal. I now avail myself of the divine bounty and bless everything that I have. I bless everything around me. I bless the events that transpire in my life, everything that goes out and everything that comes in. I acknowledge an increase of good in all I experience. I bless myself and others for we are all partakers of the same divine nature. In joy and love, my blessing rests on everything, and the blessing of God rests on me, multiplying the good in my life. And so it is. <laughs>